0: Please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're using the chair Bibles provided, you can find that on page 562. And again, I just want to encourage you, not every pastor can look up from the pulpit and see people with their Bibles and flipping pages, and I never want to take that for granted. So I thank you. Whether you're entertaining me and just tickling my itch, or you are actually opening your Bibles to be prepared, it encourages me nonetheless. Second Corinthians 4, just want you to glance down at verses 6 to 8, as it'll be a foundational passage for our topic today. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 to 8. This is the Word of God. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. And not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. This is the word of God. Life is not always straightforward. It's not always black and white. Yes or no. Sometimes life is actually perplexing. If you spend time with people, as a pastor, that's basically what I do, you will find out, just given enough time, that you'll be asked questions. And sometimes questions you don't have clear answers to. And sometimes the table gets turned you begin to ask those same bewildering questions. Has God forgotten me? Does he even hear my prayers? Has he abandoned me? Will this pain ever end? Does anyone understand what I'm going through? What good can come out of this? What is wrong with me? What's the point? of living anymore. I mean, I can't sleep. When I do sleep, I dread waking up most days to face another day. I feel weary and exhausted almost all the time. Some days I've cried myself to sleep. And some days I just feel numb. The world around me has lost its color. It just seems gray. And even when I look in the mirror, I don't like who I see. I feel like a failure. I feel so worthless. And if I ever told anyone these feelings I have inside, I know they'd reject me. I know they would think less of me. I know they would just avoid me if they only knew the dark thoughts that haunt me. To be honest, my mind seems to race frantically. I can't seem to concentrate on anything for very long. I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but it's it's hard to pray. It's hard to read my Bible. It's hard to come to church most Sundays. If I can be real with you, when I see others appear to be happy and whole, at least on the outside, the sadness only increases. When I see everyone's perceived strength, the only thing I feel is my weakness. Even worse, when I hear Christians experiencing God's power in their life. I seem to only experience my own brokenness. I feel like a spiritual desert. I know God exists, but he just feels so far away. I feel trapped. I feel like a prisoner in my own mind. Why? Are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Why? Why am I so sad? You see, these are the questions and feelings and cries of real people who are in the depths of sorrow. These are depths of sadness and valleys of despair of people that may even know the Lord Jesus Christ. But for whatever reason, life is perplexing. On the one hand, they believe that Jesus is their best friend, and yet on the other hand, they only seem to understand Psalm 88, which says in the last verse that darkness is my only friend. These are people, beloved, just like you and me. In fact, many of the things that you just heard in the introduction were said to me or said by me These are people who love Jesus. These include men of God who preach the word Sunday after Sunday. Yes, that means the pastor that you listen to. Even some of your heroes in the faith throughout church history that you love so dear. You see, for many, the very topic of depression can be as difficult to talk about as it is to experience it, because it's complex. It's it's hard to figure out and put your arms around exactly how to describe it. In churches, most of us grow up in contexts where it's a hush-hush. It's a family stigma. You don't talk about that kind of stuff. You keep it in the family. You sure don't share that on Sunday when you're trying to put on your Sunday best. But given enough time, when people are silent with their pain and suffering, behold, you wonder why no one actually takes the Christian life all that serious. When we only talk about cheap anecdotes, trite Christian cliches, And we only read certain parts of the Bible, the ones that make us feel good and show up on Hallmark cards. You see, it's not just this foundational teaching in Genesis 1 and 2 about how we're made in the image of God that needs to be talked about during marriage seminars. See, both as laymen and as a pastor, we need to be reminded that we are made in the image of God. We are spiritual and physical beings. We are embodied beings souls. But see, it's not just understanding Genesis 1 and 2 that you have to get right. you got to understand Genesis 3. When sin entered the world, the consequences of the fall have massive ramifications. You see, sin first disrupts our spiritual life with God. We are separated from him. We are blind to the truth. We walk in darkness. But for whatever reason— Christians have only been told kind of half-truths about the fall. Sin is only something that affects your spiritual life. But the consequences of the fall, well, we just kind of look over that. We forget that the fall also has effect on our human body, our brains, our muscles, our thyroid, our hormones the decaying effects of an aging body, the complex web of family genetics, and how all of that thrown in one big soup bowl interacts with the Christian faith. You know, see, in my assessment, the confusion right here has led many sincere, godly men and women to experience unnecessary and increased guilt and shame in their life. Instead of being looked down and ignored and ostracized, these are people who really need compassionate care and genuine encouragement. And confusion here on what the Bible teaches inevitably leads to superficial relationships. Even within the church. I mean, think about it. If people are afraid to actually talk about what's going on, if they're not able to be honest, you're training your people how to fake it to make it. It is the plastic discipleship program 101 that we need to burn and throw in the dumpster because it's not from God. You see, we are all tempted to put our best foot forward, but there's this other foot that we like to kind of leave behind that no one can see. But you see, this lack of transparency, this lack of vulnerability amongst many, even in the church, can make the church of all places feel very unsafe. If I can't share with you what's going on, really, right here, where on earth can I do it? Christians can feel like second-class Christians. Or even worse, there are some preachers who hold a theology saying that all depression, without exception, is a result of personal sin or the devil, and condemned many in the process. But you see, these questions and these cries for help that you heard me open up with, and I would encourage you to listen to this sermon whenever you get a chance and re-listen to those questions. They didn't come from a medical textbook. They are the cries I've heard in my office, in my living room, on my cell phone, in an email. Unless you think I'm just making this up, like I'm making up some kind of foreign people on a foreign planet somewhere out there, I've heard these questions and cries from pastors in the ministry, doctors, widows, widowers and even cancer patients i've heard them from those who have lots of money and from those who just got laid off from their job i've heard them from men and women young and old single and married i've heard them from abuse victims and i've heard them from those who abuse themselves with alcohol drugs and self-harm but what if i told you this morning These were not just people who didn't know the Lord, though some of them were. Or people who made really bad decisions in their life and are reaping the consequences. Because you do reap what you sow. But these actually came from real, God-fearing, Bible-loving followers of Jesus. They came from people like you and me. Let me just get real personal with you. Your preacher this morning has said and felt some of those very things. This morning, I'm going to be doing something that I've sought to do more and more of over the last six years of my life in ministry. I've written on this topic of depression. You can read a short article on the Gospel Coalition website. I've even given my testimony about it in a church, and I've preached about it before like I'm doing now. I'm not sure if this would surprise you or not, but you might ask, what, what does a pastor do? Well, beyond other things that you'll hear tonight, so if you want to learn what an elder is supposed to do, come back tonight, 5 p.m. But one of the things that if a pastor is really going to be a real pastor, 40 to 50% of my counseling as a pastor on a week-by-week basis is centered somewhere on the spectrum of depression or anxiety. So, with that said, starting last week, and Lord willing, to the end of this month, we're just taking a little break from our normal exposition through books of the Bible, and we're going to be looking at themes in Scripture like endurance, which was last week. If you didn't listen to it, check it out. Today, trusting God through depression. And then, Lord willing, next week, Look at how God uses our suffering to comfort others in their suffering. So if you know someone who might benefit from any of these topics, Christian or not, invite them. We want CCBC to be a safe place to feel loved and to get help. So for my goal this morning, I want to speak to those of you who are experiencing depression and those who want to help. Those who want to love those who are struggling in that way. And I'm going to do this from a Christian perspective, a Christian worldview. Because if you go to a non-Christian counselor or a psychiatrist, they are not going to come to the same conclusions that I bring to you today. So I want to make that distinction as I am bringing to you a holistic and Christian worldview on this topic. I'm going to do that, if you're taking notes, in a kind of word picture way for you, by giving you nine handrails to hold on to as you walk through the dark hallway of depression. The first few points are a little on the longer side compared to the last ones, just to forewarn you. Handrail number one, learn. Learn. Take time to research more on the topic of depression. Now, let's just get honest. Most of us are not experts on anything. We don't know everything there is to know about everything. The scriptures warn us about being self-deceived, and the scriptures tell us not to avoid isolating ourselves to our own opinions. In fact, the book of Proverbs will slap you across the face and say, stop being foolish, get wise counsel. Surround yourself with people who know more about whatever ultimately fearing God, than your own. Now, to diagnose and to define depression is sometimes more difficult than you might think. Uh, The word depression itself comes from a Latin term that literally means to press down. Uh, The picture here is describing someone whose mental and emotional faculties have been greatly depleted. Uh, A best word picture I can come up with is take a sponge full of water and spend the next hour squeezing it all out, squeezing it out, squeezing out, and then let it sit out in a hot-baked sun on the concrete until it's bone dry. That idea of being totally squeezed, depleted, you got nothing left in you. That is a good word picture of what depression can feel like for some. In the medical field, some have defined depression as experiencing an unbroken pattern of sadness, a loss of interest or pleasure for at least two weeks or more. And because depression can be felt to lesser and greater degrees from person to person, some have even categorized depression into three categories. And this is going to be the most technical I get in the entire talk, so bear with me. First category, seasonal affective disorder or sometimes known by the acronym S.A.D. or S.A.D., Seasonal Affective Disorder. Under this description, it usually occurs in the fall and winter months, where there's cold weather, here we are in February, dark clouds, and being stuck inside without sunlight. Under this heading, you could even call it situational or circumstantial depression, where there's a period of unbroken sadness, or other related symptoms of depression in response to a death or trauma or another life event like divorce or job loss. To give this even more contemporary uh, relevance to us this morning, uh, there was some data that's coming out. I'm sure it'll be more clear and consistent in the next year or so. Uh, But over the last year, at least here in the U.S., the COVID-19 pandemic has certainly caused scientists and other, uh, others in that field to look at data on how much depression and anxiety has increased in the lives of U.S. citizens. And they've done this for different countries as well. Uh, one psychiatrist in Germany, Marcella Reichel, I can't speak German, so please don't tell Marcella I pronounced her name that way. But she said by the 30 or 40% uptick in people verbalizing, experiencing expressions of depression, she says this, quote, the distress in the pandemic probably stems from people's limited social uh, surroundings, as well as being caught in tentious family dynamics where there's lockdowns and you can't get out. Uh, And then others who are just simply afraid of getting sick or of dying. So I think it is of great relevance that what we're talking about this morning and God's providence is something I think that many have experienced, but they never even put it into a category. Under this category, um, also, oh, I skipped one, sorry about that. Uh, Second category is persistent depressive disorder or high-functioning depression. Uh, Under this description, you might not even know you're depressed. Or you might not know the other person is. It's it's less severe. And it typically can even stay with someone for a lifetime. It doesn't radically affect their entire life. Uh, There seems to be a low-grade fog that seems to hover over them for years and just never able to swing it. A little more of a melancholy personality. And the third category is severe depression, also known as major depression or clinical depression. Uh, under this category, it's where symptoms or depression persist over extended periods of time and the person's lifestyle and relationships are radically affected. Uh, those suffering in this category need medical attention. Uh, sometimes they need to be removed from their own home so that others can try to keep them safe if they're trying to harm themselves. Uh, that's why those who are tempted towards suicide are typically under this category. And I just want to say Because I want this church to be a safe place. If you are having thoughts of suicide or attempts to suicide, talk to someone. Do not think you have to fight this battle alone. Talk to someone. Come talk to me. I can direct you to other counselors or physicians, or we can be praying for you and thinking through that with you together. I don't want you to ever feel ashamed of those thoughts, but we want those thoughts to be brought to the light. Again, if you're here today and maybe you've lost a loved one because they did take their life. Or you're married to someone or you're friends with someone who is tempted towards self-harm. Listen, one of the best things you can be told today and what you can tell them is that you are not God's plan B. You're not an accident. Psalm 139 says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So whether you look yourself in the mirror and can see that or not, from God's point of view, he created you on purpose, and it was for him. It was for his glory and his good pleasure. That is a good word to be reminded of this morning, so do not lose heart. Now, truth in advertising, last time I checked, there are no initials next to my name except MR. I am not an MD. I don't have an MDiv. I don't have any training in the medical field, so I'm not here to diagnose or tell you anything about medication. That is outside my jurisdiction. However, I am a pastor, and I love Jesus, and I love people, and I possess the Holy Spirit, and I believe this book, and I believe the Bible clearly tells us that we are both physical and spiritual beatings. We have an outer man that is wasting away. And we have an inner man that is being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. So not all causes of depression, hear this from your pastor, are the result of sin or the devil. They can be physical and physiologically related. But sometimes they are the result of sin and the devil. So for example... Sin that remains hidden in your life will reap undesirable consequences sooner or later. Repeated attempts to mute your conscience, to lead a double life, can lead to a spiritual depression. Brothers and sisters, unconfessed sin is self-inflicted torture. Unconfessed sin is self-inflicted torture. Listen to these psalms. Psalm 31, verses 9 and 10. David says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails, listen to this, because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Or remember Psalm 32 that we looked at several weeks ago? One of the seven penitential psalms that we looked at about humility and confession and repentance. David said in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up, is by the heat of summer." Beloved, if that's you here this morning, stop hiding it. Confess your sins to the Lord. 1 John 1.9 says, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The burden of carrying your sin could be God's way of telling you to stop running. And then James five verse sixteen says, Confess your sins. To one another. Beloved, there is something very different about staring at someone in flesh and bones that loves this God you prayed to and confessing your sins even to them. You see, when we confess our sins, even as Christians, we're not asking for Jesus to be re sacrificed or be re justified before Him. What we are doing is acknowledging that the sin that put Jesus on the cross is really bad. We hate it, we loathe it, and we want to love Jesus more than the sin that put him on the cross. Friends, here we go. Here's a little safe place to ask yourself the question, are you doing that? Is confessing your sins to God and confessing your sins to fellow Christians a regular pattern in your life? Are you experiencing the freedom that comes with humble confession where your sins have been forgiven and you receive God's mercy in Christ? Or are you currently enslaved? You've got a pet sin. You're just not willing to let go and expose so that it will die in your life. Beloved, one of God's gifts to men and women made in his image who trust in Jesus, is experiencing the freedom that comes with a clean and clear conscience. You just walk around happy willy-nilly, not because you're perfect, but because you're constantly trusting in God's mercy, and you basically see what you get, and you get what you see. You're living a life of transparency and integrity. And beloved, it's not only sin that can weigh us down and cause these depression-like symptoms. There is an adversary. There is an evil one. Satan himself and the spiritual forces of evil tells us in Ephesians 6:16 that he shoots fiery darts towards the minds of his of well, the sheep of Christ with discouragement and doubt. All that to say, beloved, we need to have both a biblical and a holistic view that sees people as God's image bearers, living in a fallen world with sin, disease, the demonic, and death as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8, read it, love it, know it. I think author Michael Emlent has summarized the Christian life in a really helpful way. We are saint, suffer, and sinner all at the same time. Amen? We are saint, we are sufferer, and a sinner all at the same time. So, beloved, wherever you're at today, whether you're doing great or you are super low, don't lose hope. Ask God for wisdom. He gives it to us, and he provides the people we need to help us, which is handrail number two, lean, lean. Make your suffering known to others who love you and lean on them for help. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26 says, if one member suffers, let's see if you know your Bible. If one member suffers, all right, the left side is reading their Bible. Right side, I'm going to give you a chance here. If one member suffers, okay, all suffer together. First Corinthians is our next sermon series. No, just kidding, but maybe. It's all right, guys. You might hear that and say to yourself, well, how on earth, Blake, how can everybody suffer together? I mean, is that Paul getting all hyperbolic and sarcastic as he does in most of his letters? Well, without, for me, trying to qualify and nuance all the things you could say about the size of a church and a person's temperament and their pain they're struggling with, I think Paul's just making a basic point. If one member suffers, all the local gathering, and that suffering is made known to the body, the body then can sympathize and bear that burden with them, So if you're experiencing depression, you have to open up your heart, tell someone, if you can't tell it, write it, sign language it, something, come up with some way to communicate and open up the door of your life and let others who can help you come in. Listen, people can only love you to the extent they know what's going on inside you little pastor secret. People can only love you. Members of the church can only love you. I as your pastor can only love you to the extent you let me in. And the same goes for me. You can only love me to the extent I let you in. Now, I'm not going to like every single Sunday pull out all my dirty laundry at the pulpit. That would be super discouraging and you might not want me to be your pastor. But there are certainly appropriate times. If you want to know more about some of my experiences with depression, well, grab coffee. I like it. And we can talk about it. You know, I know this can be difficult, though, right? Maybe you grew up in a church or a family that you sweep everything under the rug. You certainly don't cry. That is for sissies. You don't talk about weakness. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Well, one thing you need to repent of is a fear of man. I've met so many people that are paralyzed by a fear of what other people think of them. That is the most enslaving and deceitful trap that the enemy can put in our life. But on the other hand, some of us are just shy. We're just a little on the shy side. We're timid. We're, you know, that's just the way God made us, and and we're willing to share, but we're a little bashful. Listen, uh, God knows. You don't have to know everybody and everything. Just start with somebody. Start with one thing. Listen, God can give you strength to share. He can give you boldness to preach the gospel, and He can give you boldness to share what you're struggling with. Ask Him, pray to Him, and I promise you, He'll give you someone in your life you can trust. And for those of you who want to help, don't be intimidated. Just because you're not Dr. Chain or Dr. Chain, we've got two on the same row. Just because you haven't been to medical school or don't know all the different psychiatric terms. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a counselor. You can just be a friend. A friend, beloved. If you want to know how to help someone with depression, then just be available. Be attentive. Carve out time in your schedule. Create some margin in your life. Show them compassion. Show a commitment to stick with them. Many people don't share what they're struggling with because people have dipped and dodged in Left their life and they don't trust people. So stick with them. Show a genuine care for them. Don't look past them. Don't look down on them. Don't try to avoid them. Pray for them. Pray with them. And listen, here's a good one. Thank God for them. Read 1 Corinthians 12. Every member of the body is needed, and every member of Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church is needed. You have something to contribute to this body even if you feel weak and useless. That is not the truth. When you read throughout the Gospels and you see how the crowds would follow Jesus, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad, one of the things that I find so interesting about Jesus is the way the Gospel writers describe him. There's many things that we can talk about with Jesus. Tonight, as we learn about the office of an elder, you're going to see some things that Jesus said that are going to help you see Jesus in a different light but at least for this morning on our topic. What does it say when the crowds followed Jesus when they were lost sheep without a shepherd? What was Jesus' posture towards them? Did he dismiss them? Did he say they were annoying? They were just kind of a hindrance to his busy ministry? No, it says in Mark 6, 34, Jesus had compassion. Compassion on them. And for those of you struggling with depression, if you're tempted to think that leaning on others for help and sharing your pain is somehow unspiritual, you need to think again of what it means to trust in the sufficiency of God's grace. J.I. Packer once said, God uses chronic pain and weakness along with other afflictions as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. Now that's a good bumper sticker, too. Put that on the back of your car. That will get traffic stopping. In other words, beloved, our pain and our suffering with depression is not pointless. Your leaning. On the everlasting arms is a beautiful example, a beautiful picture, a beautiful platform of someone trusting in the grace of God alone. What did Paul say to all his naysayers? said he was a phony preacher, phony apostle. Read 2 Corinthians sometime. It's been wonderful medicine for this man's heart for the last year. He said, look how much I've suffered and look how much I've leaned. Look how much I've suffered for Christ, and look how God's grace is sufficient in my weakness. Beloved, do not be ashamed of leaning. Leaning is what shows off the grace of God. Handrail number three, listen. Listen, your thoughts and emotions are not infallible, but they can reveal what you value and how you're interpreting your circumstances. What did Jesus say? What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. According to Jesus at least in part, you can know what's going on in someone's heart by listening to them. Whether it's how much they talk about something, they just keep bringing it up, or how passionate or how sad they are when they talk about it. Jesus is teaching us that words aren't meaningless. If you're a good listener, you'll pick up very carefully what's going on in someone's heart. So to the counselor or the friend that wants to help, ask yourself this question, is there a certain topic or continual theme in their grief, they keep bringing up. I have found, as I have become a better listener, not always been true, getting better, it's usually you'll hear things about loneliness, betrayal, oppression. Uh, Maybe it's not even uncommon to hear a preoccupation with caring too much about what other people think. Maybe they struggle with people pleasing or a fear of man. Sometimes, I've even noticed for those who struggle with anxiety and depression, sometimes, there's a pattern of perfectionism and legalism that comes to the surface. And they are usually the hardest person in their whole life on themselves. Another question, is there a particular person or group of people? They center their pain around. Maybe it's a family member, a difficult spouse, a rebellious or disobedient child a boss, a childhood friend, maybe even a previous church. As some who experience depression have been deeply sinned against. You need to understand a part of the fall is not only our own sin, but it's sin that's been done against us. And beloved, if you're caught in a situation where somebody confesses to you some awful things someone has done to them, beloved, don't run away. You could be God's answer to their prayer by listening. I have sat in rooms with women who've been abused and little boys who've been abused, and they have never shared that with someone, but they prayed that God would share someone in their life they could talk to. And in God's strange, and it was fearful, but good providence, he chose me and a few others to help them. Another question, is there a pattern of talking about the past in which the person seems stuck living within. This usually comes up in grief counseling over the death of a loved one, often an unreconciled relationship where there's no closure, maybe a parent or a child. Maybe there's even a cycle of regret and shame over a sinful decision they committed 25 years ago. They've never even told anyone, and it's eaten at their conscience decade after decade, and they just can't move on. It could be a whole number of things, but keep listening. Whatever you hear, you need to take those things to heart. If someone opens up their heart to you, don't you treat that lightly. Beloved, let me say that again. If someone opens up their heart to you, don't treat that lightly. Take a note, write it down. If they say, will you pray for me, follow up with them. Don't leave them hanging. As Spurgeon said, If someone shoots the arrow and doesn't look where it's going, well, man, that's a pretty lame archer. You know, if we're praying, let's check up on how God's answering. Let's pay attention where those prayers are going. Again, you could be the Proverbs 20, verse 5, Counselor, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man or woman of understanding will draw it out. A good question to those of you trying to help others might be this. When others share their heart with you, do they feel genuinely heard or merely tolerated? Do they feel talked down to, preached at, or do they feel patiently supported by you? Now, give me one word of caution here. Sometimes, those who are experiencing depression might need to be corrected at some point. They might need to be reproved or rebuked. But if someone's in the depths, especially if it's the first time you've ever heard this, you don't want to try to interpret everything that's going on in one session. Remember Job's friends? <sighs> he had a bunch of hobbit friends. They tried to give their two cents about what God was doing in Job's suffering. Well, it's because you're in sin. God's out to get you. You're done. You better repent. At the end of the story, Job's wrong. His three Lord of the Rings friends are gone. And Elihu comes in there, Job 32, and says, you're all wrong. God's been doing something that none of you can see. So pray for wisdom. When the right time to correct or rebuke, Someone that might be off on some things. Be patient. To those who are experiencing depression, you need to help a brother or sister out. Write it down. If you are a word vomit person and you can just keep on going, bless the other person at least after the third or fourth time. Write it down. Maybe synthesize it in a page or a few sentences that will help you see even what your own heart is telling you. rail number four, limit. Limit. Discover your present physical, social, and emotional limitations and accept them humbly under God's sovereign control. Depression, for those of you who are literally from your childhood up, have always experienced it, or maybe it's something brand new to your adult life, it can send people into new territories that scare them to death. I mean, it's it's not uncommon for some. I've even had this confessed to me, that they can't even do simple tasks that we once could do mindlessly, like making the bed, uh, just answering the phone, cooking dinner, being in a large crowd. Uh, For me, about three years ago, uh, there was a time where I went through about a six-week bout of a really dark spell of depression. I went through some counseling with that. I was super open with the pastoral staff. I even gave them my journal and, and all these different things, And I remember I had a youth camp coming up that I was supposed to teach at. And I remember sitting at the computer. It's never happened to me before, like ever. It never happened before. It's never happened since. But I literally just sat at the computer for an hour and a half and I didn't even strike a key. I just sat there. I I literally couldn't even do a sentence. I was scared to death. Like I had nothing. So I had to call the guys and say, "I, I can't teach this youth camp. I got nothing. I've never experienced this. And so those brothers said, don't you worry about that. You don't need to talk to anyone about that. We got it, brother. You come, you just take care of yourself. Open yourself up. We'll, we'll walk through that. I had to give up something in order to get some help. So it's okay to make some lifestyle adjustments if you need to or if you're able. It's okay to say not now to some of you who can't say no. You need to learn how to say not now. Even one of Paul's active ministry and traveling companions, Trophimus, but you've never named your dog that, faced an illness that required him to be sidelined from ministry for a season. Read 2 Timothy 4, verse 20. Listen, delegating tasks to others might be wise so you don't burn out. Read Numbers 11, Exodus 18. Uh, For you, it might mean someone helping you with the grocery shopping for a season, babysitting, repairing, things around the house. It might be just asking for help how to better manage your schedule. I've experienced this, and I've seen it in others. When you're in the pit of despair or depression, your ability to manage your schedule or time just kind of goes out the window sometimes. So ask others to help you manage your week. For others, it could be going part-time at your work, changing career paths, taking a vacation, utilizing a sabbatical. Again, I might overdo it, but he's one of my heroes in the faith that were super open about this. Charles Spurgeon, mildly used of God, his church uh, saw the suffering he went through with depression and the gout and various other things. They set apart in time several weeks every year for him to go to France, to Mentone, France, in the Riviera, to go look at the ocean and be all by himself with any of his best friends. And all it's a really funny stories. They talk about the things. But he would go out there and just spend uninterrupted time for weeks taking a break. And he spoke very honestly with them that he missed them. He loved them. He prayed for them. But his mind and his body was struggling. And the church said, if we want our brother Spurgeon to last, we're going to have to take care of him. And so I saw that as a wonderful historical example that a church blessed him to help him run. Now, I'd also like to mention, all the physicians in here are going to kind of smile, but studies have shown that consistent exercise, 30 days a week, three and four days a week, oh, 30 minutes a day, sorry, 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a week. No, 30 minutes a day, three to four days a week has shown to decrease symptoms of depression and give people a little boost in their moods. You know, if Nine Marks ever asked me to write a book, I think this is what I would coin it, the healthy Christian, why you should join a church and join a gym. The combination of reading your Bibles and boosting your biceps could be a powerful weapon against some of your bouts with depression. If it's not a gym, if that's not your thing, just get outside when it gets a little warmer. Go for a walk, ride a bike, go hiking, chop down some wood, chase some chickens, do whatever you got to do just stay active as you can lastly on this topic of limit or even lifestyle i love how richard winter he just he just says it he comments on first kings 19 and how god would restore elijah with food and rest after he had this mountaintop experience after jezebel and all her false prophets just went down Elijah was at, I mean, he was at the end of his rope. He wanted to die. (laughs) This is what Richard Winard says. Sometimes, quote, we need sleep, not a sermon, when we are under pressure or in a crisis. Listen, the Lord sent him an angel, or a bird, (laughs) to feed him. Take a nap and eat. That's what you need. Now, this is not an excuse to miss church and sleep in on Sunday. No, no, no. That is not what Richard Winard is saying. So if you're feeling kind of gloomy and weak and tired, get rest, take a nap, cut off some of your social media, eat more healthy, talk to someone who looks healthy and feels healthy and ask them what they do. It really does help. Diet, exercise, and sleep can go a long way. Handrail number five, look, look, pay attention to the people around you who are trying to help. Do not underestimate the Lord's providence with the people he puts in your life at the time of your depression. Notice the following Proverbs, Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Now, the proverb here is speaking about the blessing of having family and friends in your life, people that can love you, especially when you're at your worst. A true friend, it says, loves at all times, right? But Proverbs 27.10, I've been shocked on how many times I've got to use this verse in people's suffering. Sometimes people immediately run to a friend that lives like six states away or a family member that lives across the country. And they may be able to help you through FaceTime and a phone call and maybe a plane flight, but not everyone has that luxury. Don't look so far if God has provided a friend who is near. Ask yourself, who is consistently texting me, emailing me, calling me, or trying just to check up on me? Who seems to keep making themselves available to talk, to pray, and to hang out? Who continues to go out of their way to make me feel important and loved? You might be saying, God, send me a friend. Send me a friend, I'm so lonely. No one loves me. Well, keep praying and open your eyes. Be patient and don't be picky. Don't be picky. God may bring someone in your life, but it might not be who you immediately thought they were going to be. But they are God's gift to you. I like how Paul highlighted God's provision in his life through Titus. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Brothers and sisters, I want you to take initiative to draw near to those who are hurting with depression. You may become the very friend that cuts their suffering in half. J.C. Ryle wants to find the significant value of a friend like this. This world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin it is a dark place, it is a lonely place, it is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. Handrail number six, lament. Lament. It's okay to cry, it's okay to grieve, and it's okay to groan. For a variety of reasons, you might be sad. Your favorite sports team loses. Again, okay, well, maybe after one session, we're not going to bring up your sports team. But for some reason, sadness may be prolonged, more than a day or a weekend, but for weeks and months. Read a psalm like Psalm 77, which is very clear about how our sadness or grief should not be denied or suppressed, but offered up to God. Because biblical lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Biblical lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. If you want to learn more about that, you can read Mark Vergop's book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's a great one to learn how to lament biblically. However, I nor the word of God said, complaining or grumbling is pleasing to God. That could actually be a sign of unbelief. Think of the Israelites doubting God's faithfulness in the wilderness or Korah's rebellion. Think of Satan's accusation and distortion of God's word in the garden. Did God really say? But grieving and groaning with Christ as our ultimate hope is an appropriate response to living in a fallen world. World. Let me say that again. Grieving and groaning with Christ as our hope is a appropriate response to living in this fallen world. Read Romans 8 sometime. 2 Corinthians 5, 2 and 4, 2 to 4, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Remember, beloved, the shortest verse in the Bible is that Jesus wept. He wept over a dear friend who had died, John eleven thirty five. 35. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' soul had become sorrowful even unto death, Mark 14, 34. You know, I've found in my own life as a Christian that I don't grieve enough about the things that we should be grieved about. And beloved, I would say that to you too, because first, if I'm gonna be broken by that sin, I can speak as a broken man. You all don't grieve about things that God expects us to grieve as we should. We should grieve over our own sin when we sin against God and against others. We should grieve when people say they love God and rebel against God's word. Our hearts should break when unhealthy churches smear Christ's name in the mud. Our hearts should break when a pastor commits a moral failure or is disqualified for the ministry. Our hearts should break longing for sinners to turn to Christ for salvation. Our hearts should break when we see younger believers struggling in their sin, and we want them to be made like Christ. Beloved, our hearts don't break enough. Our hearts don't grieve enough about the things that have eternal significance. So beloved, ask God to give you his heart and how he views sin and suffering. And I would imagine all of us will begin to lament and grieve about very different things that some of us do right now. Whatever your depression might be, whatever the cause might be, offer it up to him. Handrail number seven, laugh. Laugh. We go from lament to laugh. Take note of anything that brings you joy, enlightens you. The mood, now this might be one of the oddest points in the talk. I'm not saying get hysterical, take an energy drink and just laugh. No, that's weird. Don't get bad on me, okay? Depression is nothing to laugh about. And one of the worst things you could ever do is sing a cheerful song to someone who's really down. Proverbs 25:20 20 says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. That's why at CCBC, we're going to sing songs of joy and sing songs of lament. You know why? Because that's Christian. (laughs) That's the world we live in. We need to sing the whole spectrum of the Bible. Yet, one of the most practical things we can do is be around people we enjoy. Because sometimes in life, there are people we call leeches. We don't use their name, but we talk about that situation Maybe with someone you're trying to get help from, they just suck the life out of you. And then there are some who are lovers. They just blow wind into your cells. They are a joy to your heart. They just refresh you. Proverbs 17, a joyful heart is good medicine. And that can come from a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Uh, listen, there are many things God has given us in this life, good gifts, to do with those we enjoy. This can look very different from everybody's life. Eat at your favorite restaurant, go to the movies, hit up Bowling World, and get a strike. I've done that recently. Take a weekend trip to the beach or mountains. Play Xbox One if you're kind of into that. Nintendo if you're old school. Watch a football game, see a play, grab a coffee, hang out in the living room, and just chill. So who is it that you enjoy being around? Who is it that just is refreshing to be around? Well, put it on your calendar. Stop making excuses. Find time, make it happen. Handrail number eight, lies. Lies. Use the Bible and look to people who know you the best to expose lies you could be believing. The Bible calls us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And we do this by looking to the pages of scripture, which serves as a mirror for our soul, and we begin to have a clearer picture about what's really going on in our life. We want to be transparent in our relationships and we want the Word of God to expose what's going on in our hearts. You know, as Christians we know that suffering is inevitable and in our times of suffering and I am one of them, you can begin to believe things about God, yourself, and the people around you that's not true. Sin is bends yourself on yourself. Some of us need to repent of navel-gazing. You need to look up. Look up to what is true, lovely, virtuous, praiseworthy. That's Philippians 4.8, and that is a command. We need to look to the life-giving source of the Word of God. We need to look to the Word because the Word is, exposes our darkness, and gives us light. When we're walking through that dark hallway of depression, we need someone to turn the lights on. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Or Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Another good book I would commend to you is Sinclair Ferguson, Not a Baptist. He's a Presbyterian. He's really smart. He's just off on baptism. Sinclair Ferguson, brilliant writer, deserted by God. Excellent book. Very easy to read. Listen to what he says. Store up the word of God like a squirrel storing up nuts for the winter. For the winter time of life will surely come when you will need God's promises to act as an anchor for your soul. So, beloved, this might be the only time I'm going to push you a little bit, okay? It's just a little brotherly love, all right? If you're sick, stay home. If you are in a providential hindrance and there's zero ways you can get out of the house or you're somewhere, obviously, nowhere close to Fort Smith, then that's perfectly fine. And there are also strange things that happen that can prevent people from being at church on Sunday. But, beloved, I'm going to push you. God put me in charge to push us. Do not forsake assembling yourself with other Christians on the Lord's Day. Don't do it. You don't need to pray about it. I can already tell you. Here's the voice of God. Be with Christians in the Word of God. You need it. Everybody needs it. That's the truth. And if you want to record me doing it, I'll do it on your phone. So when you're having a really bad Saturday night, hit play. Okay, I get it. I get it. All right? It's just all over the Bible. Don't think you're more spiritual than Jesus is. Don't think you are more spiritual than Paul or the writer of Hebrews. If they thought it was important, we should think it's important. One time a brother came up to me after the service, and I was given a story about a guy who walked away from the faith that I was discipling. And he came up to me. and He said, brother, the whole time you were preaching, I've been wanting to tell you this. He said, brother, you know what happened to your friend? I thought, well, I kind of know what happened. I I know the guy. But he said he walked away from the fire. He got further and further away from the fire. The people of God, under the word of God, administering the Lord's Supper and baptism, exercising membership and church discipline. And before he knew it, he got really cold. Beloved, when you pluck a coal from the fire, it's going to get really cold and quicker than you might not realize. Beloved, do not forsake the regular gathering with other believers. Start a one-to-one Bible study to help you throughout the week. Consider looking to help from a, a pastor or a counselor. Stay in the Word, whether there's five people in here or 500 people in here. We need each other. The most dangerous place, listen, the most dangerous place you and I can be is trapped in this noggin. We get trapped in here, we get in trouble. We start thinking and feeling things that just ain't right. We need someone to help us, and we need to stay in the book. Handrail number nine, which is the last one. And all God's people said, amen. Love, love. This is the good stuff. God's love reaches into your darkness and meets you right where you are. You see, some of the hardest things... The hardest words to accept when you're in depression are hearing these words, God loves you. I mean, everything in your thoughts and in your body are sometimes saying the opposite. God has abandoned me. Even if God loves me, it doesn't apparently look like he likes me. God can't use me. I'm weak. This has been a very common one I've heard. I feel like God has deceived me. He led me down a path and things aren't as good as I thought they were going to be. Beloved, if that's you, there is no other place you can go to for true, lasting joy and true, living hope outside the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is the good news. It's the good news about God's merciful provision for wretched sinners. This is what gives us joy in the midst of sorrow. This is what gives us hope in the temptation to despair. The good news is about God's Son. Jesus Christ, who entered into this dark, depressing, and wretched world, the eternal Son of God, the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. Though He never sinned, He was like us. And yet, this God-man is the light and life of the world. He is the great physician. He is the one who can give you rest from your burdens and rest for your soul Jesus and Jesus alone not a psychiatrist not a pastor not a counselor not a bottle of medication none of them can touch ultimately what Jesus can do for your soul you see all these other helps I've given us they can be God's providential gifts to us but none of those things are a savior That means this, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, you don't know Jesus, or maybe you know someone in your family who is depressed and they are in an unsafe situation. I say this as gently as I can, but I have to say it as truthfully as I can. You can get all the medication you can get your hands on. You can take all the classes, all the therapy, all the self-helps, join a gym, Do everything I just said, but if you miss Jesus, you will only have a peace that gets you so far. There is a peace that the world gives you, Jesus said in John 14. But Jesus says, I have a peace that I can give you and that I alone can give you. So beloved, if you're here today or you know someone is, what we need to hear more than anything is we need to turn from our sins and trust in Christ. And fellow Christian, your depression does not define you. Your depression doesn't change who God is. His bottomless love never runs out. So when you're in the depths, you need to be reminded, Romans 5.1, you have peace with God. Romans 5.10, you are reconciled to God. Ephesians 1.7, you are forgiven by God. Romans 8.38 and 39, you are permanently loved by God. Ephesians 1.6, you are predestined for adoption as sons or daughters of God. Romans 8.30, you were called, you were justified, and one day you will be glorified. And beloved, the book of Jude tells us those who were called will be kept securely by God. Jude 1 and 24. You see, the gospel speaks objective, eternal realities into our foggy, perplexing circumstances. So beloved, listen Less to how you feel and listen more to what God said. We need to learn how to listen less to ourselves and learn how to preach to ourselves. Isn't that exactly what Jeff Pruitt said earlier in Psalm 42? Psalm 42, verse 5, why are you downcast of my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him. A quick word to us here who are members of CCBC. There are many things our hope our church will grow in. I hope that we will be known in this community by sound preaching, fervent prayer, robust singing, generous giving, meaningful church membership. But one of the fruits that I so desperately want our church to see God work in this ministry is that CCBC will become a safe place for troubled souls to be loved and to hear the truth where our sin is called out and where our suffering is cut in half. I want so badly what God wants for us, that transparency Honesty and rebuking and comforting is the norm of the Christian life, not the weird, I've never seen this before, Christian life. Beloved, think of ways today how you could be a sympathetic hand to someone in need. Think of a way this week you can learn how to be more transparent with your own suffering with someone you trust. I pray that we would push against being plastic or surface level and that God would help all of us see that weakness is a platform for his grace. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Depression may make you feel like God's losing his grip on you. But he is faithful. He will complete what he began in you. He Will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are marveled. We are amazed at your tender care and your loving comforts to those who experience varying bouts of depression. Lord, I pray you would use this sermon as one way for our church to grow in what it means to counsel and comfort and what it means to confess and ask for help. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.